1: Dr. Future, what's up? What's up? King Wells, what's up, King? What's up? What's up? Could I ask you a question, Pete? Sure, Johnny. Anything. What's up? What's up, Johnny? Mark Brett. Counselor Mark.
0: Let's bring this man on. Rabbi Mike, what's
1: <laughs> up? Scotland Cuba, the Demon Slayer. Hey, brother, i tell you what,
2: I'm really impressed with the great show you got going on here. Be blessed, bro. Keep on uh, giving the devil a black eye on the tiger. No. Oh.
3: Hello, world. <laughs> All right.
1: <laughs> Hello, Iron Show land. All yeah. you crazies that, that like to listen to Johnny. All <laughs> you unique people. Peculiar, strange people. What's up? What's up? Hey, you boys Johnny again. I'm down here. Hell near Orlando with my host. Richard? What's up, Richard? What's up, What's up, What's up, What's up? What's up?
3: I'm inviting you to watch this Saturday night on Monster Killer Horror Theater when we present another in our fine line of horror classics. We got a scary one for you this week, believe me. This was a great film. It was made in 1956, I believe. And it's a 3D special. That's right. It's called Dr. Tong's Evil House of Pancakes. I haven't seen this one, so let's... Take a look at some clips. I know it's going to be scary. Oh, would you like some more pancakes? <laughs> There's got to be a scarier part to that movie than that, kids. Uh, <laughs> I Even Count Floyd wasn't scared of that, and I get scared real easy. Come on, boys, let's... Roll that film a little further ahead and let's see a good frightening part of that movie. The pancake movie. Would you like some more syrup? <laughs> oh, wasn't that scary? Huh? Did, did you see those pancakes coming right out at you? pancakes and pancakes and syrup and then oh you blueberry pancakes scare me I don't know about you but uh, you know everybody has their favorite scary ones buckwheat particularly can be frightening (laughs) well Keith, it's not one of our our biggies I'll tell you that but be sure to stay tuned this Saturday night I'll be giving away gifts and things so Saturday night monster killer horror
1: theater. Hey, welcome to the other church. more Johnny, and I'm down here. Oh. With my very special friend, Counselor Mark. How are you today, Counselor Mark? Yes. What's up? Once again, we're so honored to be down here with Counselor Mark, and uh, next up here on our series on the human emotions is Counselor Mark Breton addressing the emotion of Fear. 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 Oh, that's scary, kids. Oh, it's going to be so nice to hang out with the kids. I'm so happy to be here with you
3: on the Iron Show. Oh.
2: Oh. Once I was listening to Count Floyd there, I was kind of like ready to play some Mario. Because he sounds more Italian than he (laughs) does. Sylvanian. Oh, hey, you want to play a Donkey Kong? Oh,
1: one time he yep. was. One time, uh, Count Floyd was uh, had the movie on it, and it, and then it, the camera went back to Count Floyd accidentally, and he was sitting there with uh with uh, one of the girls from off stage, smoking a cigarette and drinking a scotch. <laughs> and he looks over and he sees the camera, and he drops the scotch and the smoke, and he just goes.
2: Oh. <laughs> oh, man! Nah, he's cool, man. I love hanging with him. Oh, me too, man. Him and him and him and the doc—they're great. Really? We have good conversations. You know, I—he's—I tell you what, Mike Bennett is so busy all the time. I never really get to spend any time with him. By the way, I was just chatting with Tom, and he wanted me to say hi.
1: All right. Hey, fizzy boy.
2: The fizzy boy. Yeah. What is that about?
1: Uh, he, in uh, Future Quake 135, uh, Dr. Future said, I'm Dr. Future. And uh, Tom Bionic said, and I am the always effervescent Tom Bionic.
2: <laughs> it's like he doesn't know his friends that are guys listen to the show or something. Dude, this is not... This is not, you know, Project Runway.
1: Dr. Future says, what, should we call you Polygrip? And he goes, that's not effervescent. And I'm sitting there, you know, listening, going, you know, going, um, Everdent, Efferdent, Everdent. Come on, guys. And they're trying to find the name of the, you know, of the denture cleaner that's Fizzes. Fizzes. Yeah, so I started calling him Fizzy Boy. Fizzy boy. From Effervescent. Oh, yeah. It takes a lot of thought to get to that conclusion, to get to that nickname. Uh,
2: I am all the way live on that, you know what I mean?
1: I have actually hung out with Tom Bionic and Dr. Future in the flesh.
2: In the flesh.
1: Yes, I have, just like you. And uh, they're different in real life, I think. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you. Dr. Future was laughing at my off-color Longshoreman jokes, which I didn't think he would, but...
2: <laughs> no he's he's cool
1: i have a few different um areas of fear that i have uh-huh. figured out and i wanted to explore them one at a time i wanted to exp- i you know there's i figure there's a few areas of fear that are different from each other one is like godly fear you know and right the, right the fear of the lord and all that one is um one is a um one is a kind of fear of of uh, life threat life that life threatening fear like um, you know uh, the uh, fight or flight fear right mm-hmm. and uh, and then one is is an ancient fear uh, now see now I'm a sci-fi Christian so that's going to be kind of wild there uh, you probably aren't going to even agree with me but. To me, there's a really. What do you mean by? Well, to me, there's a really ancient fear that's in our um, that we inherit from it, from our generations before us. I think we do. I think it's possible. And um, that's you're talking.
2: Just... I'm going to use um, big words here. Are you talking about like something that's akin to like a generational curse or noetic effects of sin from the original sin of Adam?
1: Um, no, mine is a, like a genetic fear that's passed down, like a genetic memory. And that is the fear of the unknown, the fear of the – well, the fear of, uh, like, aliens, the fear of the watchers, the fear of the, of the fallen ones. I have dreams a lot where, you know, like there's a UFO in the sky or, and it's close, but it's different than just seeing a saucer. It's it's coming, announcing itself and making contact. And it's, when it's in the sky and I'm looking at it, there is a, it's a, there's a certain flavor of fear that is not found. Anywhere but there. It's a, okay. So, and it's really... And I think that it's an ancient fear of, you know, in the ancient times when we had to deal with fallen angels um, in a very earliest, you know, times. Uh-huh. Which you know, some people don't believe we did have to deal with them. But, right. Uh, I have a
2: theory. I have a, a working theory on that that just kind of came to mind as you were talking about it. So... And I think it's one of those things that it bears analysis. You look at it and you can go, okay, well, you know, where's your anxiety coming from? And I think even what you're talking about there with, you know, I'll just use the word like the Nephilim and in those experiences and the anxiety that is rooted in you that you believe is like almost like a genetic fear. I think anxiety might actually, because we were talking about doing, we did anger, now we're doing fear. And I think anxiety is the fruit of fear, and then we were going to, of course, finish it up with love. Let's just for a second talk about what might be a more comprehensive – because to me, anxiety is not a comprehensive problem like fear is. Fear to me is a big umbrella, and all these other things kind of fall under it.
1: Sometimes there's um, there's real deep sadness that I've felt of just the human condition. Yeah. That poor little critter type sadness yeah. you have for yourself. <laughs>
2: Oh, you know, I love to walk outside, take a deep breath, feel the cool breeze, and understand that the universe wants to kill me. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I'm into that. Everything is designed to put my life to an end. Yeah, yeah. One scratch from a brush, I could be, you know, from a, from a, a vine, and I might get poisoned, I might get infected, get blood poisoning, I might cut something important and bleed out. Yeah. I might go blind, I mean... Uh,
1: our lives are so fragile They hang on As the one poet said We
2: hang on such slender threads Yeah,
1: yeah <laughs> Yep Spider webs we hang on Gossamer
2: threads, and silks G- that, are, that our lives <laughs> Just depend on Very little things Things that we hope for And things that do not come Oh uh...
1: Okay, so I was going to um, tell you a couple stories, and then have you react to them. First off, to start out our fear series here. Okay, we're going to explore anxiety in in the next uh, probably installment, and but today we're going to focus on fear. And I've had a few times where I was really scared in my life, uh, you know, uh, and they were they had these fears that I had in these uh, circumstances had completely different flavors than each other one was totally different kind of fear and uh the first one i'll tell you about not not in order of which they appeared in my life but i um me and my daughter and uh my wife met a huge um uh Sicilian mob boss once and uh the fear of that was a it was a very distinct kind of fear and uh he, uh, we were in this shop and all his um, all these dudes were around this little old man um, and all these guys were like they looked like men in black and they had like you know like they looked like they had all black on and suits and they had they all looked you know like uh, it looked like um presidential dudes that support the president what are those called an, an, secret an, service secret service they look like secret service there's about wow. 10 of them. All around the store, all around this little country store, on the inside, with this little um, Sicilian guy in the middle, and and he goes, uh, "What's what's your name?" And I said, uh, "John, Johnny." And he goes, he goes, "Johnny, who what's who is this little girl? Is this your little girl?" I said, "Yeah, that's my that's my daughter." And he goes, "Oh, I love her so much." He goes, "Johnny." Could I impose on you? Could I ask you a piece of huge of favor? Could I hold this little girl just for a minute? And I said, well, sure. My daughter, she's like one years old, you know. She's all laughs and smiles and giggles. My daughter was, she was the ultimate little kid, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, all he held her and he was, this look on his face just came over his face. He was, he was so happy to hold Maren. He's like, I love this little girl so much. Oh, I want to. Oh, he goes, he goes, look out the window, Johnny. That's my house. And I looked across this huge field, like lawn thing, was this huge mansion with all these pillars and stuff. He goes, that's my house. He goes, Johnny, I got to tell you something. He goes, he goes, I am the godfather of this whole side of the country. He goes, I want you. He goes, I love you so much. And I love her this little girl so much. I want you to come up to my house. He goes, and I'm gonna make you a big mafia. And I'm gonna make her a little mafia. And uh he goes, Isn't that right, boys? And he looks around, and all the guys just nodded their head. And I'm like, But sir, I'm a I'm Scottish. I I thought you had to be Italian to be in the mafia. He goes, if I say you're a bigger mafia, you're a bigger mafia. Isn't that all right, boys? He, he looked at them, and they all nodded nodded their heads, you know. Not even an expression, you know. It was, I was this fear came oh, over man. me. Oh, man. That you can't, you can't describe this fear. It was a totally different flavor of any fear that I've ever had. And then it got worse because Johnny, he puts his foot in his mouth. If anybody's ever listened to the Iron Show, you'll know that Johnny puts his foot in his mouth. And uh, so what I said next was the stupidest thing I have ever said in my whole entire life. I said, uh, would I have to kill anybody? (laughs) Oh, oh, oh. Oh, man. Why did I say that? Tell me why.
2: Well, that's because it's terrifying.
1: (laughs) So uh, it
2: is a terrifying moment. Yeah, To be in the hands of the mob Oh it is It's. Um, oh my gosh I can't imagine that
1: Yeah it was It was a certain kind of fear That I've never felt before or since And uh, he got really serious with me All of a sudden his expression changed Completely To the stone face killer And I was so scared I was so scared I was just shaking And uh, then I knew for sure That he was what he said he was when that face turned like that, and he looked at me with those ice, cold eyes, like a lizard or something. <laughs> I was a believer. I believe. <laughs> and he said, Johnny. Man, that's terrifying. Oh, he said, Johnny, I killed a lot of men in my life. But I never hurt a child. And I never hurt a woman. I never raped a woman. He goes, How many men can I say of that? I said, Well, I can, sir. I've never done those things. <laughs> And I've never killed anybody either. <laughs> and he reaches up and he grabs me, grabs my cheek really hard and shakes it. He goes, that's a right, Johnny boy. That's why right. I know you're a good boy, Johnny. I like you. You're a good man. You come to my house tomorrow oh, okay. at noon. I'm going to make you a big mafia. Oh, my God. And I never showed up. And I wondered if, you know, I mean, I wondered for months if maybe I insulted him by not showing up the next day. Anyway. oh. <sighs> So that fear was a certain kind of fear. What do you think that kind of fear was rooted in?
2: I think that fear was rooted in wisdom. (laughs) (laughs) We really, I mean, we're programmed as people since the fall to have fear to protect us. So we, we didn't have to be afraid of anything at all. We weren't even afraid of God because we just didn't even have that kind of knowledge. You know, we didn't – God was never, ever seen as the, the, the old guy in the sky that could do horrible, bad things to us. And so, you know, Adam and Eve in the garden, they didn't even have any fear of God. It was until the fall. And then when the fall occurred, of course, then we had to have fear. It's, it's, it's just like our anger, in a sense, we talked about last time. There's a, there's a part of it that plays a part in our lives now that allows us to survive, And when you're in a situation like that, you're thinking about everything you have to lose and all the bad things that can happen to the people that you love because you know without doubt because the way you told the story especially, you know without a doubt that the person who is making the perceived threat can carry that threat out. There's no doubt in your mind that the guy that lived across the house or street in that big old house – that he had been responsible or might have firsthand killed people. And you make that kind of guy mad? Is he going to come after you? You know, I mean, you can read long histories of the mob and see where horrible things have happened to the folks that have crossed the mob. And so you have in you the knowledge that allows you to try to respond. Fear sharpens your, generally speaking, fear sharpens your senses. You get the adrenaline and you get a heightened sense of the situation so that you can respond properly. And the whole idea is, is how do I deal with this guy without making him mad, but how do I also extricate myself from this situation? How in the world am I going to get out of this one? And you asked the guy the one thing that was terrifying to you, and that was, am I going to have to kill somebody? That was not just you asking if you're going to have to, that was you actually asking him, are you going to kill me? Oh, really? Yeah. You're like, okay, well, let's test the waters here. <laughs> you know, if I don't do what this guy wants, am I going to die? Is my daughter going to die? Is What's going to happen? What's going to happen to my family? You know, people say that when something bad happens, that they, they see their life flash before them. And, you know, what happens actually is we see our potential life flash before us. I, we see everything – I mean, yeah, your memories might pipe, pop into your mind, but they're popping into your head because it's like, what am I here and what have I got to hang on Hang on to? Why Why do I need to hang on? Why do I need to make it? Why do I need to survive this incident? Because fear brings to our mind very, very quickly what we have to lose. and And it is absolutely at the root of it and – If we approach it then from that point of view, then we're going to understand where fear is good, where fear is right, and then uh, also when we're afraid of something, why we shouldn't be. So that's that's a great foundational story for the discussion. Really? Because that was legitimate good fear
1: there was a number of uh, functions working in my head at the time in other words i mean that's why it oh, yeah. had that flavor right
2: oh yeah oh yeah that that is exactly right that's that's there were several things that were going on all at once real fast and so it's really tough to look back and differentiate what occurred but if you talk to enough people you know like if somebody decided well let's put together a study of you know scottish heritage guys that have been approached by mafia dons while he's holding their daughter and offers them to make them made men yes okay well if we can collect an actual study group and collect a group of people that we can use for you know a double blind test and and and, and all that then we'll find out what is a natural reaction right guess what they're going to be scared anyway. <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: and i was you know it was a very complicated flavor of fear
2: so many things occur in those situations life threatening situations uh fear becomes so much more than just oh you know i'm i'm terrified here or whatever it 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 brings us it, it brings into uh mind it brings into focus what is really important
1: yes and uh
2: And what, believe it or not, what popped into my head was uh, I remember a long time ago watching Die Hard. Oh yeah, my wife. My wife went to visit her mom. You know, I had probably two little kids.
1: Oh, great movie. Put them to bed. And what's that? (laughs) I said, great movie. Sorry to all the listeners. Oh yeah,
2: (laughs) and and so so I mean, you know, again, you know, we get into the realm of movies that you can watch and enjoy, but you just can't recommend. So chew the meat and uh,
1: spit out the bones. That's what I say.
2: <laughs> wow. There's,
1: so, <laughs> there's not much meat in a, in the Die Hard movie, but there's a lot of bones to spit out. At least. Oh so. man!
2: But I remember I sat in. Uh, I sat in my TV room and I turned the lights off. It's probably ten, and I'm watching this movie. I've never seen it before, and you see. One of the characters—they throw this kind of character in movies all the time when bad things are happening, and it's Mister Self Preservation. Yeah, and it's like, what's fear going to do? Well, it's going to let this guy sell out everybody else. You know, let's make a deal with with bad badness.
1: Oh uh, yeah, I hated that guy too.
2: <laughs> yeah, and so you see that guy too, you know. And you could have responded, like, and I don't think you would have, and I don't think most most guys would, especially of Scottish descent. Uh, haven't you ever heard of the Scottish mafia? Uh, no, <laughs> that's a joke. It's from a movie called The Pest. Oh, oh, with John Leguizamo in it. Again, oh. you know, I don't recommend it. But if you happen to see it, the Scottish mafia is in it. Um, it's, <laughs> it's 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 pretty funny. But anyways, you just you know you wouldn't have handed the guy your kid and then said, Hey, you know what? Why don't you just keep the kid? No, and let me walk away from this one. That would be really really cool. <laughs>
1: You know what I mean, you're like just hanging on to
2: the firstborn. Yeah, that would be like and, that. Big I can make more kids.
1: <laughs> don't worry. They'll make more.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, and we don't think that way because it's insane. And that's why fear does what it does. Oh, but it think brings about us. It. Now, think about it. Wait a way minute, back did you... in the day, what was the religion where people sacrificed their babies to this god? Baal. It was Baal, but wasn't it Moloch?
1: Molek, yeah, too. And, and yeah, also, yeah, I believe
2: there was, you know, and so... And the fish well, why god. Would they, I mean, they were actually, it was fear. You know, because back in the day, those kinds of superstitions, you know, fear was a prime motivator in trying to appease the god. Yes. And they were willing to throw their children into a burning, just absolutely burning, hot, sculpted bronze metal hands. Yes. To somehow appease this god To 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 so they could live, you know, and that's kind of what popped in my head there when I'm thinking about this guy in the movie Die Hard, who is just ready to tell everybody tell all the bad guys, oh, oh, this person over here, you know, this is his wife for real. She uses a different name, but don't kill me.
1: Yeah, yeah. Let's (laughs) make a deal. We can talk. We can always make a deal.
2: (laughs) Yeah, we can always bargain. But we're not going to do that. But the fear that you experienced was was the right kind of fear. In essence, it was like, how do I navigate through this situation so that I can come out on the other end with all of everybody that is important to me unscathed? Wow. And it was a momentary thing because, you know, this mafia, crazy mafia guy, you know, he's going to be like, well, you know, I loved your imitation of the guy, too. That was all spaghetti and meatballs. But um, Johnny boy. Let me Uh take you over to the house, and we're going to make you a made man. All Uh you got to do is kill somebody, and you're thinking to yourself, (laughs) "Oh, dear Lord, no." Yes, (laughs) I mean, yeah. There's people I think about sometimes. I'd like to hit them so hard that they didn't wake up, but (laughs) you know, honestly, we don't want to really kill anybody. We just—it's something that we generally don't want to do unless we're somehow sociopaths, and. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean you're weird and I'm strange, but neither of us fall into that category. Right. We're just uh, just so so to me in my mind that kind of thing was like fear for not just your own well being, but you're fearful for your family especially and first and foremost, you're afraid of what I mean, think about it. You're afraid of because of the question you asked him, I think is indicative of it you know am i going to have to kill somebody in other words am i going to have to become an evil man that my family's going to have to live with
1: yeah yeah
2: am i going to have to become a bad person in order to survive this particular situation
1: yeah yeah
2: and then then you're looking at what am i what do i have to give up what do i have to give away to live and is it worth it yeah Amen. And, and, exactly. and believe it or not, that right there is huge because that is the decision that people make dealing with fear every day, so many different moments of the day. What am I going to have to give up to make it through this? What am I going to have to give away to negotiate my way out of this problem? Because they're absolutely dumbfounded with fear. But this is in situations where there's no mafia guy. There's no, there's no really bad man who's holding it over them. This is people who are not aligned with, connected to, and plugged into identifying themselves with God in their entirety. They don't trust him. They, they, they're afraid for their lives. And they're willing to then negotiate little pieces of their lives away to deal with their fear. Because they don't want to be afraid, but they don't want to be courageous.
1: You know, they'll also give away um, bits of their uh, bits of their pride to certain extents or, or small extents or large extents. They will uh, get real humble to negotiate their way out of situations. They yeah. will pro- throw pride to the wind when fear, 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 fear is raining at the moment.
2: Well, you know, that's like the rescue prayer. I mean, almost everybody – and I'm going to throw this on the Western Church one more time. Um, and for those of you out there in listener land that ever get tired of hearing me bagging on the Western Church, too bad. Um,
1: <laughs> Leo, just see ya. Here we go. Oh, no. Know, it's,
2: <laughs> it's just – this is where the Lord's called me to focus. This is what I do. I don't know a lot of guys that actually are in Greek Orthodox over on the other side of the world but I know where I go to church and I know who I deal with. And I know that this is another weak spot. And that's why we're doing the, (laughs) we want to beat this thing down, man. Oh man. and, And people take it apart again. They negotiate. They just negotiate with their fear and they sell themselves out little pieces at a time. It's like, I would, it's, I can't remember the quote, but, it's something to the effect of I would rather die one solid, courageous death than die a little death every day. Oh, little slices of death. Yeah. I oh, mean, it's, you know, yes. it's like the speech on St. Crispin's Day. Yeah. You know?
1: Death of a thousand yeah. cuts.
2: And, and, and yeah, it's very light, much like that. And it's are we just going to get chipped away at and chipped away at and chipped away at. And continue to give into that fear and never, ever make any headway, never make any ground. And I'll tell you what, one of the areas that I specialize in is relationships. And so while we're having our discussion, I, you know, we'll get a chance to talk about fear in relationships and why people are afraid, why they get dysfunctional, why relationships get sideways so bad because of fear. And whatever anybody uses to plug the hole in their heart, whatever it is to, 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 to stave off the, the feeling of impending doom, and I've been reading a lot of Blaise Pascal lately. He wrote a book, Pensies. It's just thoughts. But he wrote a lot about how we're, we put up so many barriers to seeing the death that we know is coming. I mean, yes. it is coming at an alarming rate, and so we entertain ourselves. Do you know the Romans
1: The Romans had this whole philosophy about uh, sex uh, staving off the fear of death? They had a whole philosophy built around that, if you happen to know about that.
2: I don't know the name of it. I've probably read about it some, but I would – I mean, I'm not surprised at all you know because we do that that's that's like like the human condition is death is 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 like besides the fear of public speaking according to so many people death is the biggie you know that's the one that's the big unknown that's the thing that we're all like am i going to be good enough can, I, know, say, can I say can i say something
1: um i just have learned this recently about the psalm 23 and yeah. um when it says um Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's just what Counselor Mark is talking about. It it addresses that. And it's so wonderful to have that in in the scriptures that we can go back to time and time again. Because we all are walking. That's what that means. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That means my whole life I'm constantly aware of the time of my death looming in the background in the distance. You know, and it's yep. a it's a it's a it's a thing that's going to happen. It's an absolute um, death and taxes. You know, are going to happen.
2: <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, you, and and you know, it's like you bring that up, and and I think we'll get around to the fear of death probably is, is is a foundational uh, concept. But uh, coming up next, coming up next. But uh, you know, I'm kind of trying to think of a way to kind of frame it. I have my own thoughts on Psalm 23 big time. Uh, Personally, I think that the author could have put the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And that could be Psalm 23. Everything else is commentary. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, I shall not want, I choose not to want. I know I'm not going to want because the Lord is my shepherd. Everything will be provided. And then you read the rest of the chapter and it's all the bad things that can happen. Right. You know, we having
1: should explain good things want. while
2: being surrounded by my enemies, having to deal with death, whether it be my own death or the impending death of everyone else, you know, because life is fatal.
1: You know, we should talk about explain want, I shall not want. Now, that doesn't mean I shall not want things. It means I shall not have need of any need of anything I need.
2: I think it's both. Oh, okay. I think it's both because... And and I'll tell you why and and how it plays into fear too, uh, is if you look at it now, I'm not looking at the original language here, okay? I am making a statement that I think is theologically sound based on other scripture that you can bring to this, but when David says this, he's making a declarative statement. He's not just saying, well, the Lord's my shepherd, so I'm not going to need anything, He's actually saying, I shall not want. He is making a choice. I shall not want. In other words, he is not going to go looking for the things that he needs in his life for fulfillment, sustenance, entertainment, whatever it is. He's not, he is declaring Just like Joshua declared, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. David is declaring in that statement, I shall not want. In other words, he's going to be a sheep, and he's not going to get out of the pasture that the Lord has put him in, because that pasture has everything he needs. And that pasture for us is our life. The Lord has put us here, and now we have to learn to hear his voice and become content and not want, and that's where fear lives, because we want, and by want, you know, you hear it applied to people, uh, it's an old word, you know, we think about desire when we think about it, when in actuality, the word that we should think of is lack, Uh, something that we ought to have, so it's not as if it's, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I'm getting a caddy. No. Ah. The Lord is my shepherd. Anything that he feels I need, he will give me. That's yes. how I see it.
1: So now, when we uh, look into the uh, aspect of fear that has to do with relationships with each other, and especially focusing in on the fear of losing, uh, losing someone very precious. Over some way we feel, or something we say, or something we did. Um, do you want to kind of uh, dig into that a little bit? Try to tear that a little part. Sure. Well, I mean, we apart? can go
2: back to uh, we can go back to your story because I think it's applicable, and it's and it, it's kind of typical in a sense of the male female relationship, husband wife, you know, and uh, fiance and 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 fiance. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. What happens is, is that we go looking for something that's fulfilling, even, you know, sin for a season, uh, something that feels good for now. And uh, then when we get in the mess, of course, we start thinking about the implications of it. Well, you know, this is really going to get her mad. Well, why is it going to make her mad? Well, it's going to speak to her inadequacies. Well, if I'm not good enough, you know, and that's, believe it or not, what Israel did to God all the time. You know, we want a king. Well, I'm God. Am I not good enough? Well, we want a king. Everybody else has a king. We want a king. You know, and he had to tell Samuel, Samuel, don't be so upset. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And so, you know, that's what we do. And so we go find that thing and then we bring it into an environment that sullies the environment. So now we've introduced something divisive because we want, because we want to go get it. And then all of a sudden we're afraid because, of course, we know there's consequence. There's always consequence. And then we start thinking about what the consequence could be. And it's like, okay, I can get away with this. Well, let me tell you something, people. You can't get away with anything,
1: Yeah, including sin, bad grammar. Your <laughs> sin will find you
2: out. It will. That's Everything in the Bible. that you do is known. And a lot yes. of people don't like to have – this is – see – and this is where incredible intimacy with God can occur. And it's but this is the crux, this is the place. It's like, okay, when I can actually really accept that I do nothing hidden from God. There's nothing hidden from him, every sin, every word, everything about me, my thoughts, my feelings, all of it. God knows every bit of it. Okay? Yeah. Am I I going to – now? okay, knowing that, am I going to come up to him then and go, you know what? You know everything about me. I give up. You can have it. I'll be yours. I won't pretend you're not in the room anymore.
1: Short story. What's that? Wait. Short story. A little epiphany I had when I was 23 and I first came to the Lord about a month later. I was outside work and the guy who led me to Jesus, Louis. Louis Knutson, my mentor – Uh he I was out there having a smoke and he goes he goes would you would you stand there and smoke that evil thing right in front of Jesus? If he was standing right here? And I thought about it for a second. And I said, uh yeah. I am. He is. (laughs) I'm smoking it in front of him right now. Yes we are, buddy. (laughs) If it's evil, I'm sorry. get a cup of coffee or something instead there jesus come on inside the break room
2: <laughs> <laughs> take the wheel jesus take the wheel take
1: the wheel anyway when you were talking about that i had to tell that story that's a real life you know thing that i went through that, uh, that actually manifested what you were talking about you know we are in front of jesus 24 hours a day 7 days a week you know he's there he knows everything we did we there's nothing hot you can hide from him and yeah. like you were saying, once you can accept that, then you really get to terms with what you really are. And Jesus knows what you are. He knows.
2: Yeah, and we fool ourselves into thinking that he doesn't. <clears throat> we right. think that – and here's how we do it: is What happens is, is we recognize that God knows that we're schmucks, that we're, that we're evil, we're sinful, we're greedy, we're ugly on the inside. And what do we do? We go – Because we're afraid of that. We don't want people to think that about us. That's so strange. And I understand it because I experience it myself. We're totally capable and willing to let God think whatever of us. We're like, you know what? He ain't here. I don't see him. He's not going to tell that guy who I really am. So I'm going to pretend to be somebody else. Yeah. And so we start walking around trying to please people – and we're afraid of what people think, and so we you know, try to keep up appearances and everything, and that's where <clears throat> legalism really comes from. That's where the fear of discovering who we really are then becomes very apparent because we've put in our mind the illusion that God is not constantly in us hearing our thoughts, feeling our feelings, and that he is not outside of us witnessing all of our actions as a result of our heart. And our words, you know, I, I I was on a trip with my wife this week. I took her along with me for a business thing and we got to a spot on our way back after an arduous week where we were fine. You know, we got along great and something occurred and I had kind of a flashpoint moment. And I tell you what, I felt so bad. Oh, yeah. About being upset, even for that short time that I wanted to just pull out of her forgiveness. You know, I'm just like, please, I feel so ashamed of myself. Tell me I'm okay. And did you? Well, I mean, we got in the discussion and I really kind of tried to drag that out. And and she, you know, she apologized to me. I apologized to her. There was humility and 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 we were really looking to 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 fix it. And I felt really bad. And and I was kind of expressing that. And I think I wanted more than just I think I was kind of like hoping she might say, you know, don't worry about it. It's okay. See, that's not forgiveness. You know, and, and so. Yeah. I don't need somebody telling me I'm okay. I need somebody to tell me that I'm forgiven. Yes. That I'm not going to burn. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and and I don't mean burn. I'm not just talking about hell. I'm talking about the torment in our minds that we experience in fear. That fear of broken relationship.
1: Does fear go into different areas just because of that? You know, I mean, it wasn't just the fear of loss of, uh, no, I'm trying to say it wasn't just the fear of being alone. I wasn't scared of that. It was the fear of losing that relationship. And that has a lot of different facets that go a lot of different ways, doesn't it?
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it's going to affect how we act. Are we going to lie to cover? Are we going to confess so that we can heal? Are we going to become defensive? Are we going to respond with anger, you know, so that we can put the uh, shoe on the other foot and then make the other person defensive? And then we build up the wall that is basically like, well, this is ultimately your fault. So, I mean, fear, fear is just, I mean, is, fear and shame, you know, shame is fear of what other people think, including God. That's it, We already know we did it wrong. Right. We, are, we already knew we did it. We know we're guilty. Shame comes on the back end of that and is like, okay, now what are you going to do about it? You're going to tuck tail and run like a dog and get up under the porch? You know? Are you going to whimper? Are you going to go back and, and seek forgiveness and to repair the relationship? You know, What is shame going to drive you to do? You know, And there's, there's godly fear and there's godly repentance and there's godly sorrow. And what we have to do is learn to look at our fear, identify it in each different circumstance it occurs, and then we look at that dead on and say, you know what, I'm afraid of losing this person. I've done something bad. And if this person knows about it and I take full responsibility for it, they are completely justified to pass judgment because it's just like being in court. If I do something that violates the law Let's say I drink and I'm drunk driving and I hit somebody and then I have to go to court. You know, I can use all kinds of excuses, but the fact is that somebody got hit and you cannot change that fact that I got in the car and drove drunk. You cannot change that fact. And so all I can do is just where's the blame going? And so, what happens then is, is we put ourselves not at the mercy of the court, but it's just at the honesty of it, you know, guilty or not guilty. And we always have to come up and say guilty. And when you can get to that kind of boldness in love and fear, you know, gets pushed out and you're not afraid of the consequences more than you're afraid of the offense. You know, then you start to understand the fear of the Lord. Then you start to understand what love is and, and, and the sense of loss of relationship is a lot more important than fear of getting caught, fear of reprisal. What happens is, is when you get to a point where you're more concerned about broken relationship than you are about getting, being guilty and then having to deal with the fallout of that right. you know, in a, in a human sense. When you can get to that point, then you've taken a huge step towards dealing with fear in a healthy way.
1: So fear, like anger, fear is something that we need to follow to its logical conclusion. Yes. You would say.
2: Yes, because again, fear and shame, they what happens is they start interlocking, you know, and Adam and Eve hid. And they're like, you know, God's like, Hey, where are you? Well, of course he knew where they were. He knew exactly what happened. You know what he was doing is was giving them a chance. He was giving them an opportunity to step up to the bar of justice and say, "We sinned. We, you said don't do this, and we did it, and now we know we're guilty." But they didn't do that. What they did is they said, "Well, we knew we were naked, so we hid." Right. And he's like, "Well, who told you you were naked?" Yeah. Well, well, you know. And finally, they get around to it, and he's like, "Did you touch the fruit?" Yeah. Well, you know, it's the woman, woman you do.
1: gave me. She made right. me do it. She tricked exactly. me.
2: <laughs> and so what a lot of guys out Blame. there do, uh, what they do is is they're acting out is acting against. You know, anytime their relationship takes a hit, anytime they feel guilty for something they said did wrong. Now, I'm going to throw in the other half of this, okay? So don't, don't jump. But uh, when they feel like that... that some right of theirs or their self-esteem, ego, whatever it is, has been violated by their significant other, you know, husband or wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, Uh, then they decide they're going to punish the other person by doing something that they know will damage the relationship They choose it. We go after evil, you know. Evil really doesn't have to go looking for us and oftentimes our motivation is, well, I'm going to hurt you because this is a bad thing and I don't like the way I feel. So I'm going to find something that makes me feel good and at the same time drives the wedge so that I can say, well, see, you did this. It's like setting up the fight. That's brutal. Well, I'm, we're conditioned and our brain is already in that place. And if we're already doing our relationships like that, then we're all set. Like every time my wife, you know, I'm not saying me, but every time a guy's wife, for instance, says something, they we're like, well, I'll show you. You know, I'm going to go get my love somewhere else, and that is completely violates the spirit of Psalm 23. You know, the Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. Well, guess what? Right. The Lord, the Lord gave you this woman, and you know. So, what are you going to? Are you going to now? You're going to go out and want something else? Yeah. Stupid. You know, are you going to violate that, and then you're going to feel stupid, and then you're going to respond either by seeking the mercy of the Lord, uh, mercy of the Lord. You're either going to admit your guilt and not be afraid but of of everything again it's fear of broken relationship that has to be more prevalent the the understanding of that what that loss is going to cost and it goes all the way back to the garden and then it goes all the way to the cross and and people don't want to think about that you know the passion of the christ is the highest blockbuster You know, money taken in movie, that's horrible grammar, but it made more money than any other R-rated movie in history. And that was because people have to know, they have to know that somebody died for them. They have to know that that ultimate guilt is answered somewhere. And people went to the movie and wept. I went, I saw it one time. My son and I went, and and I watched it, and I cried yeah, because I me had too. a palpable, just absolute visceral idea of what it cost God to fix the relationship, what it cost God, and what I would never, ever do to fix the relationship. You think I would do that? Nope. I'm not man enough. I got to tell no, you right I now. I am not. I am not man enough Johnny's to do that. Johnny
1: manly, but I ain't man enough for that.
2: <laughs> you know, and that's what it costs God. And if we will look at that and understand what it cost Him to make our relationship right, then this is exactly what Proverbs is talking about. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yes. And this is where the rubber meets the road in that. The fear of the Lord is recognizing, respecting, honoring, giving the right place to. The right significance to God and who he is and what he has done to have a relationship with us. And when you have that fear and that fear is greater than any other fear that could possibly possess your body, you will not sin like nearly as much as you would. Before that, and you uh, won't understand.
1: be you won't be scared of all these things. You that we usually exactly. scare you. Yeah, it's sort of like when your dad says, "Oh, you're scared. Here, I'll give you something to be scared about."
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I usually got the crying speech. You're well, give, I'll give you something to cry about. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah and uh, then, my dad was used, a my dad. Tremendous used a long, amount of fear. Of that. my dad was a longshoreman. He gave you something to be scared about, and not cry about. <laughs>
2: I was terrified of my mom. My mom was so horrible. We were just I grew up in absolute terror. I was so afraid. And 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 as a child, you can't logically make jumps that in things that are supposed to be inherently good. You know, you look at that and the mother-son relationship is supposed to be inherently good. Yes, in that it retains relationship period. Yes, is in the image of God. It is an attribute of God to be relational, you know, because he talks about the Trinity. He talks about let us go down, you know, and, and, and Jesus reiterates it then when he says, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The three are one. And yes. there, is, there is that commonality of purpose and, and thought there, you know, who is, he has seen me as seen the Father. And Jesus said, you know, I only do the will of the Father. Well, of course he only does the will of the Father. Jesus is God, and God is God, and they are one, you know, just like the Shema says. I believe that's what it is. The Lord our God the God, our God is one. And that's, a mis- you know, I, I misstated it, but that's the idea of it. Um, and so relationship is at the crux of, of who he is. And, and so that's what our fear is about. Our fear is about relationship between us and ourselves, between us and God ultimately, between us and everyone else. That is why we are afraid.
1: Now, there's another story that I have for you here that it sounds completely different from, okay. the, from what you're talking about. And uh, that is a story. It goes like this. True story. Happened to me, 1993. My wife... Always wanted to go camping, she talked about camping dreamed about camping, but I grew up with uh my dad was a hunter uh, he was the he was the father of all hunters you know he hot every he hunted everything from antelopes to uh you know to uh being uh, you know underwater you know and and shooting uh fish with a with a you know with a with a with spear a spear gun spear gun yeah yeah and so Anyway, um, you know, we would go hunting and, and we would be around uh, – my dad was a longshoreman. His friends were longshoremen. And these were people that were up in the woods with me who were somebody that an average family would not want to run across. So I, I had the fear of, you know, of bad guys. And then also in Oregon, there's like meth cooks will go up into the woods and camp out and cook meth and tweak out and get real evil. So I never wanted to go camping. So, but we finally, it's like, all right, you know, finally we bought a tent and we're going up there. We're in central Oregon, uh, up, up over the mountains there in Lapine. And we're uh, camp out next to this lake. And uh, so I'm in, the, I'm in the tent, Laura's in the tent, Marin's in the tent, she was a little girl back in 93, and it's about one in the morning, and I'm hanging, my wife's asleep, my daughter's asleep, I'm wide awake with my 44, bulldog, bullnose, 44, in my hand, <laughs> fully loaded, <laughs> and ready for action. <laughs> Okay. Oh,
2: I got a story to tell you. Dude,
1: all of a sudden I heard like Arnold Schwarzenegger's coming into camp. You could feel the vibrations with every step. And I'm like, oh, no! The Terminator's coming into the camp! Oh, man, I'm glad I got this 44 cocked and ready. And, uh, I'm telling you, these footsteps, it was, it was like a, oh, it it was like a big robot, you know, weighing about a ton, walking, stomping into the camp. And I put my face against the tent screen, you know how those tents have screens to keep out the, you can see through them to keep out the bugs. Yeah,
2: keep the bugs out.
1: I I couldn't see (laughs) unless I put my face against the screen and pushed my face into the screen. Then I could see it into the camp. And so I did. And this huge, slobbery nose touched its nose against mine. And I saw it, it was a black bear. And it was the biggest thing I had, biggest black bear. I didn't know they got that big. And it pressed its nose against mine, sniffed a couple times, and then blew its nose all over my face. And my face was just dripping with bear snot. Ooh, the Iron Show is leaving you on a cliff. Hey! What will happen to Johnny? What will happen to the bear? Oh. What's up? This is Johnny breaking in here. And uh, I just wanted to read you a few uh, emails that we've had back here from our anger show. And uh, this is the first time uh, on the Iron Show that we have ever read emails from the listeners. So here's the first for you. Let me bring up one here. this one comes from uh, Sister Rose uh, out in Florida. Uh, bravo, loved your show with Mark Breton. Your, re- your message really hit me right in the flesh, and it gave me a huge black eye. Cannot wait to listen to the next show so that I can have a perfect match. LOL. This may be my favorite iron show to date. Johnny, you may have met your match for making me laugh and cry at the same time. Love in Christ, Sister Rose. All right, Rose. Oh, it's good to hear from Rose. She's a longtime Iron Show listener, and uh, glad that anger show really helped. Uh, here's another one from uh, Cowboy out in Texas. Listens to the Iron Show while he's riding the range, Brother Paul. Uh, hey, Johnny, how are you doing, brother? The last three Iron Shows have been awesome. Man, show 29 blew me away. I wish every believer could listen to that show. It really spoke to my heart and my head. I've been praying and growing in my understanding of emotion. So show 30 with Counselor Mark, that's anger by the way, uh, was a direct answer to my prayer. Alright Paul, it is so awesome how God is using you in the Iron Show. Keep up the good work. Love you brother. Paul ball. Right on, dude. i got a few other ones here. Uh, I've got one uh, from the Anger series here. Let me see here. Digging it up here. All right, this is from a pre-release of the the episode that you're listening to right now, the fear episode. Uh, Carol up in Canada heard a pre-release version of this episode right here, and she writes... Finally had a chance to listen all about fear in relationships, what it costs God to fix the relationship, and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This episode made me think about a lot of things in my past. People like Mark were around years ago when I needed godly and logical counseling. I hope people hear this that are having difficulties in their marriage relationships and having issues with fear too. It could be a relationship saver really concepts about fear i have never encountered before it all makes so much sense thank you johnny and mark blessings to you both awesome brothers in the lord i'll be back for part two of the bear story finale oh yes P.S. john you could have ended up with a horse head in your bed yes i could have oh yes all right and that concludes uh this first half of the Iron Show Human Emotion Fear Session. And uh, stick, stick around, because uh, uh, Part 2 is going to come up? out pretty soon. Uh, part 2, Fear, with Counselor Mark Brett. And it's going to be longer than this Part 1. And we're going to get really deep. And uh, so I hope that's going to bring some healing in your life. And I hope God has blessed you with this. And uh, please, you know, if you got anything to say about these... Uh, sessions or any Iron Show session, all you got to do is get a hold of me let me know what you think. Uh, that's uh, ironshow.com and you just click on the old contact there. All over ironshow.com there's places where you can hit contact and it'll take you to a place where you can just type in a message to Johnny and uh, let, let me know what you think and let us know what you think. Uh, we'd like to hear from you down here at the Iron Show. Here's another one. I was listening to Iron Show 30, Anger, and it stopped me from killing my parents with an axe. Lizzie Borden. Okay, now I made that one. What's that? See you next time.